there you are. I got the memo. Okay, let's unmute you. There. There. I Hi. knew we'd be back in sync. It just, you know, we had to get over that full moon. Whatever that was. <laughs> Blue and red, not. Come on. Look what I did to my tooth. What did you do? I bit into a piece of turkey wing. It wasn't even bone. It was just crispy skin. Took out the filling was probably loose. So I'm going to try and see Mary Ellen on Friday. Ooh. I hope. She says maybe we can fix it in two hours. And that will save me a separate trip down to San Rafael or Santa Rosa because there's no way I'm letting anybody except her touch my mouth. I love her. At, yeah. What's not to love? I don't know. No place to put the dental course this February. So I'm hoping now that she's finished with her master's and her girls are finished with medical school and halfway through dental school that we're going to be able to do the dental module next year. That's my That's amazing. So for people who are just joining, Dr. Mary Ellen Chalmers, um, I believe, patented the use of FSM with uh, dentistry. Yep. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. And it's, and the thing with, um, yeah, Kevin is going to find my phone so it doesn't ring. Um, <laughs> the, um, the thing with the medical applications of FSM is that there is a law that says you can't patent a medical procedure. It can't be patented. So, and I taught it for a year before I ever talked to a patent lawyer. And he, oh, you didn't get my phone. He got his notepad. Oh, well. So if the phone rings, I'll just silence it up here in the corner. Yes. Um, so if you develop a new way of doing an appendix surgery, you can't patent teaching how to do the appendix surgery. But if your appendix surgery happens to require a new gadget, you can patent the gadget. Gotcha. So um, dentistry, there's a dental exception. So if you develop a new way of, of um, if you develop a new way of doing a tooth thing that you can, sorry, I'm closing <laughs> all of these things that are, that are, no, go away. Thank you. Yeah, my you can, you can tell folks that we do this live. Yeah, we totally do. <laughs> and I've been, I spent the day, so the clinic opens in January. Yes. Well, I've been interviewing electronic medical records, software people. Yeah. Um, yesterday, today, and it turns out tomorrow. So, yeah. Where was I? Dental exception. Yes. So Mary Ellen was able to patent the use of frequency specific microcurrent and the concept of using specific frequencies in dentistry. Amazing. Not only in the US, but in Europe. So it's a, it's a thing. It's, and that's Mary Ellen. And she, she is the one that found my dental infection that was causing my joint inflammation, immune system activation. And as it turns out, the dental infection is what caused the stent and the open heart surgery. Wow. Yeah. So the, did you, sorry, did you ever have pain um, running 40 on yourself? Oh, no, no, never. And I never ran it on my jaw. Yeah. So that was maybe a thing. Yeah. Um, I've never had pain running 40 on myself, okay. but the, the bone infection was like complete the back half of my jaw and both upper and lower up to the canine teeth was basically necrotic gone, but the cortical bone was so strong, so thick that my dental x-rays were normal. Wow. And that's, and Mary Ellen said she kept looking because I had a stent in 2004 and she got on her inquisitive hat and she said, you don't have any risk factors, like none, zero. 
I was running three miles, two miles, three miles, three times a week. I was good diet, no genetics. She said, there's no reason you should have a 99% blockage of the LAD. You've got a jaw infection. I have no pain. I have seven, eight root canals, but I have no pain. So she did a regular CT that didn't show anything. Dental x-rays were completely normal, not the tiniest bit of indication of anything. And then she found a friend of hers that had one of the first 3D cone beam called an iCAT. We did the iCAT and the whole back half of my jaw, upper and lower was gone, infected. So I've had nine jaw surgeries and that sounds really terrible because jaw surgery is really you scary. Know, bruise and scary and you like swell up like a chipmunk. And the reason they're not scary is FSM postoperatively. So I wrote along with Mary Ellen, I wrote up a, she has a surgical systemic protocol that you run during the dental surgery for adrenals and immune system. And I don't even know what's in it. It just runs. And then immediately afterwards, like while I'm still in the chair, still under anesthesia, because these are not procedures you want to be awake for. Um, so they put the sticky pads here and here, and we ran current. And then George took me out to the car and we went to the hotel and I packed an ice. I, I never took pain medication. I took one half of an oxycodone because I was still wide awake at 11 o'clock at night. And it's like, would you shut up and go to sleep? So I took half an oxycodone. That's it. No pain, no swelling, no bruising. So when I say nine jaw surgeries, five or six of them, five of them were for the necrosis and four of them were to place the implants a year later. So I went a year with no molars, but nine jaw surgeries sounds scary unless you have FSM, at which point, <clears throat> at which point it's just, yeah, I get to fly to Santa Rosa have dinner with Mary Ellen, have surgery the next day, stay overnight in a nice hotel, run microcurrent, get on a plane the next day, piece of cake. No swelling, no bruising, lecturing three days later. So I have cottage cheese for breakfast instead of toast. It's like, whatever. So that's, that's Mary Ellen. And when I introduce her, when she lectures, I said, this is the lady that saved my life. And Mary Ellen says, Carol, you saved your own life by making that choice. So when people wonder why I'm working until I'm 80, I have my retirement account in my mouth. <laughs> but what a great mouth it is. And you're able to do what you do because of that. So we are grateful that everybody made the choices that they did. Every, isn't, that's a good, I like that. We're grateful for our choices. Yes. Because yeah. even the bad choices teach you something if you're paying attention. Yeah. It was like our whole conversation um, last week about gratitude and how things could have been drastically different for me had I gotten to vet school and yeah. so glad no one would take me. Yeah, exactly. So, and good, good drastically choice. different for me if I had gotten accepted to medical school. And something as simple as getting a red light instead of a green light. Yes. Used to piss me off. I used to get so irritated. And it's like, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. There's somebody that needed the green light more than you needed it. So be grateful. There's an accident two blocks down the street that you would have been involved in that you didn't get in. Yes. So be grateful. And so red lights became a moment of gratitude and an opportunity to sit at the, uh, intersection and not be irritated. Yes. Opportunity for growth. So there. Yes. And that's like all of the patients that, you know, make you want to slam your head into the wall after you leave going, how on earth am I going to tackle this? And then you have to stop and think, okay, they are here to teach me something. <laughs> I'm going to learn something. I'm going to learn what to do, or I'm going to learn what not to do. I'm going to learn to phone a friend and check my ego and just throw everything we can at these people. So there was a patient last week and the week before 
and she had a urine neurotransmitter test that was completely wrong. So she said, I am high serotonin. And you look at this person and you say, this is not a serotonin personality. It's like, no. And I'm high um, GABA. It's like, no, you totally are not. So I had her take. So first thing is, she was so high strung and so agitated about her condition. She'd seen functional medicine practitioners. So she had $4,000, $5,000 worth of testing. And somebody, and she did have mold, but somebody put her on itraconazole at double the dose she should have been on, started her way too high, which made her way too crazy, which made me like, ah. So I ran concussion in Vegas. I ran mold on the brain. I ran her SIBO. And I had a come to Jesus conversation about you participate in creating your reality. I what? Here, read this list of words. And then the next week, she's still high strung. But at that point, she's filled out the Braverman. So we have Roger Billica as a resource for which I'm truly grateful. She filled out the Braverman. She has GABA dominant, loves lists, hates conflict, and GABA deficient because she her brain is so inflamed, she can't do GABA. She's all epinephrine and norepinephrine. Right. Right. And the infections, the SIBO and the mold made her high glutamate, which eats up GABA. And it's like, oh, you're not crazy. You're GABA deficient. Got it. And she had calmed down enough because we ran the Vegas two weeks in a row. And I gave her the sale price on a custom care. She's now treating herself at home. But the resources we have take these impossible, knock your head against the wall patients. So I, I think when you have those patients that make your brain hurt, the key is don't go down the rabbit hole with them. She wanted me to join her in her pity party. And that was the come to Jesus conversations. Like, no, if I join you in your pity party, then nobody wins. So. I I have empathy. Yes, portions of your life have sucked. And I've been where you are. Excuse me? Yeah, I was on the mold protocol that you're on, only I was on it for two years. And I was in primary pancreatic failure, and I had SIBO and gastroparesis. So what's your problem? They're all fixable. Nothing you have scares me. And she went, what? I scare everybody. It's like, what's scary about what you have? It's so obvious. You have a good doctor that you're working with. He has you on the right stuff, but the wrong dose. So we can fix that. And so it's, they're there to teach something, but you also have tools that help you not get sucked into the medical diagnosis that they walk in that they're so hysterical about. Right. Okay. So you have mold. Yeah. And... That's drama because. Yeah, I think some people do fall in love with their conditions and they fall in love with the appointments and the attention. And it sounds so, um, sounds so out there to some people. Why would you love being hurt? Why would you love being in pain? It becomes an identity. You know, um, we see that a lot with, um, certain, um, certain demographics with people, right. They love, They just love the attention. They love um, if they are recently retired sometimes or empty nesters. I'll see a whole group of these people where there's there's nothing to do. There's no kids to take care of and they have a condition and they have an appointment. And it's totally and you can still have something to do, but let's make it healthy. Let's make it positive. Like, yes, your homework this week is to watch a movie. What your homework this week is to go to a bookstore and spend 20 minutes in the bookstore, yeah. but I, I don't, you have 20 minutes. It's a 10 minute drive to the closest bookstore. We'll look it up. It's 10 minutes back. It's 20 minutes. That's a total of 40 minutes. You have 40 minutes. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, okay. So this patient, the way to build serotonin is to go for a walk. Right. Okay. So your homework is to walk five minutes a day. I don't, 
oh, five minutes. I do that around the house. It's like, okay. Yeah. It's so funny. I'm now I'm thinking that could have been what here it was. I thought it was me, but I had two, um, one frozen shoulder ish patient that was referred to me. Wasn't really frozen shoulder. It was just adherence in the um, subscapular nerve, nothing big, but we got them 90% better. Is that last 10% that typically lingers? It's like losing that last five pounds. You're just like, okay, how, what am I going to do? It's going through his workout. He's a huge like Peloton guy, right? So blah, like Ooh. screaming and music and hammering on the bike. And I'm like, let's go off the Peloton, just humor me and go for a walk. No phone, no music outside. He's like, oh, I'm like, we live in California. You need to be outside. Just breathe. <laughs> just breathe. We're not in Canada right now. So just, and it's amazing how the next week he came in, the shoulders are back, the shoulders are open. And yeah, he's not like this hammering, you know, forward on the bike, but just he's sitting upright. He's breathing. His whole face changed. I'm like, what have you been doing? I've been walking. I'm like, yeah, I love walking. Great. Yay, Kim. You know, and so- it's a neurotransmitter and cortisol thing. This is the other thing. I went to the gym the other day and I do a, a very specific weight routine and I'm in and out of the gym in 40 minutes. Perfect. Because I'm old. No. Charles Poliquin was like the master of physiology. Yeah. Charles's guys, well, Charles found out that cortisol goes up at more or less exactly 60 minutes of hard workout, which all the guys do, right? Mm -hmm. So it's 60 minutes, your cortisol goes up. His guys were under the strictest orders. You get into the gym from the minute you touch a weight, you are out of the gym in 55 minutes and you walk to your locker, you walk to the car, and that keeps cortisol from going up and cortisol inhibits growth hormone. So what your guy built was growth hormone. He reduced epinephrine and norepinephrine. He reduced cortisol and, he, and reciprocal act motion. So cross-country staying or walking increases serotonin. Right. It's like, right? And, yeah, well done. Well, you know, it's funny. I was, uh, right after that patient came in, I had to run to the grocery store really quick and then back to the clinic. And there's a guy walking t- towards me and he had the best t-shirt and we need to get one for FSM. And it had, um, you know, some atoms and some, some chemical diagram on the front. And it said science like magic, but real. <laughs> Oh my God, that's awesome. And I thought that was just it because so many people say like, you're just like a wizard. You're like a magician. It's like, no, it's just science, but I'll take magic. I'll take magician. My tagline has always been reproducible magic. There you go. Yeah, that's right. And you don't have to have a wand to make it work. You don't. So um, keeping the train on the tracks here, we're December 1st today. We're rolling into our Christmas season. Mm-hmm. I try to have a different mug every time we come on. Today, I thought I would bring out my reindeer mug. Oh, and I've got um, you, you have a beautiful yeah. mug, yes. Um, so with Christmas, we're going to kind of go with the theme. So our lead, lead up into actual Christmas time. Mm-hmm. But what I wanted to start with, and maybe it's not as cheerful as Christmas, but um, holidays and so kind of rolling from Thanksgiving into the Christmas season is very festive. It's very busy, but it is also an incredibly lonely, depressing, anxious time of year. So practitioners out there, you need to be aware that sometimes your pain patients will amplify during this time. And it's nothing that you're doing wrong. It's just this time of year. So I wanted to kind of talk about this for a little bit. Well, and it's not so much that their complaints aren't real. Yeah. People who had difficult childhoods that were abused, molested, had surgeries, injuries, auto accidents, 
death in the family, any sort of trauma prior to the age of seven is centrally sensitized. So something stressful happens that would not bother them in August, but because every Christmas, dad used to get drunk and beat up mom when the kid was three or four or five and thought it was his fault, right? The mid, the, the hippocampus, the amygdala, they never forget. So central sensitization, a stressful event that would not bother you in July or August, that stressful event happens December 15th. Your hippocampus goes, oh my God, we're going to die. And the low back pain that used to be, would normally be a four or five is now a six or a seven. Is it really a six or a seven? Well, in the patient's mind it is. And the pain is, it's real. There's pain generator, the facet joints. It's the same facets that he jacks up every time he works in the yard and decides to pull weeds in November, whatever, right? But this time it's sensitized and you don't know, you've never asked, we don't ask, did your dad used to beat up your mom, get drunk and beat up your mom every December uh, when you were age three to age seven? Why would you ask that? And the kid wouldn't remember it anyway. Pet the puppy. I heard him. <laughs> so on, in our world, you treat the facets and then you say, I'm, I'm gonna put this wrap around your neck and put another one down on your abdomen. It just tends to quiet the nervous system. You don't have to explain about central sensitization, but you have to turn on the vagus, right? You're going to be reducing inflammation in the lumbar facets. That you can do on an auto care at custom care. The concussion in vagus runs 44 minutes. If you've got a 30 minute treatment slot, you take concussion out or shorten it, take out the pituitary, you don't need that, just don't tell Harry that I said that. And you quiet the medulla, quiet the thalamus, turn on the vagus, and the vagus will turn down the inflammation. Quieting 89, the midbrain, will quiet the central sensitization. And if you have a suspicion about this particular patient, because it's December, because they come in, their pain level is really probably a four or five based on the physical exam, but they mind it a seven, right? That's sensitization. So you take your custom care and while the patient's changing into a gown, you change 40 and 89, quiet the midbrain from four minutes to eight minutes, quiet the medulla from four minutes to eight minutes and then increase secretions in the vagus from four minutes to eight minutes. That takes it to 30 minute program. So you're just running vagal tone and the lumbar pain. And then you do your manual work so that you in, in do you know, don't you just love neurology? Do yes. you know that just the process of touching somebody for now hugs have to last for two minutes but touching somebody for 15 to 20 minutes raises oxytocin and who doesn't love oxytocin. I know it. That's when I went to manual therapy college, we had, um, well, this is back in the nineties, but that's when all this um, data was coming out of the touch research Institute. Um, just, just on that. And, you know, it made, that's what drove me to this path. Cause when I went to physical therapy and they just put me in a room with an ice pack and a tens device and they left, I'm like, well, that's, didn't feel good. But when I went to a really good massage therapist and I'm like, yes, yeah. what is this? <laughs> Oxytocin. So, yeah. So yeah. it's like, we have the ability to deal with the unconscious stressors without even running emotional relax and balance. You treat the nervous system. Emotions come from a place. So the unconscious stressors that bring your lonely pain patients in in the winter and you have the ability to give them uh homework yes your your homework is to go to a bookstore 
So they, they don't want to go to movies because there's too many people and, you know, there's COVID. If you go to a bookstore, there's people there and there's books and there's companionship, or, you know? Yeah. Very good. So this is, again, organically just taking us down the rabbit hole in all the right ways. So I'm going to steer, I'm going to steer the ship over to a question and answer because we we're just talking about... Um, low back pain. So I want to just jump on the second question here from Nancy. It says, would you please comment on using, um, these are B channels, 630 versus 710 and 330. I used to think 630 on B channel is a lazy way to address the disc rather than to go individually to the annulus or nucleus. However, we found some patients respond better to 630 than 710, even if an MRI shows an annulus tear. Also, um, 45 on the B channel nervous system versus individual nervous system components like, um, 396, 475. Thanks. Nancy Chow, you like read my mind today because, um, if you'd seen my yellow notepad, I wanted to talk about, um, 46 and 475 and stuff like that. So let's just kill a bunch of birds with a stone and I'll let you jump on that first. Well, I'm with Nancy, except that 710 is my go-to. Uh, the annulus is, you wouldn't have discogenic pain unless the annulus had a micro tear in it. Yeah. And the annulus is what creates mid scapular pain. So the patient that has arthritis in their thumb and does this, and then you ask them, do you have pain in between your shoulder blades? Well, yeah, how'd you know? That's Cloward, that's 710. So I always, 710 is my go-to. Um, 330, I don't go to because the nucleus is pure phospholipase A2. It is the most inflammatory biologic substance on the planet, possibly, at least on a person. So 630, I had some good responses, but 710 is my go-to. So maybe I'll go to 630. I'll give it a try. 45, I'm not a believer. Um, I treat the specific parts. I, I I'm not going to get in trouble, why? It's That's like I don't want to be a non-believer, but 475 is a frequency that was scanned for. It is the nerve sheath. Nerve sheath. I've never had it do anything. And I, I keep trying when it seems appropriate. I haven't. So if Nancy, you've had good luck with it, it's like nervous system as a whole. The reason I don't use that a lot is that whole chain intellectually doesn't make sense to me. How is it that 46 is muscular system as a tissue type? 45 is the nerve, the whole nervous system, really? 47 is the digestive system, 50 is the respiratory system, something else is the urinary system, and they're all right in a row. Yeah. I don't believe it. I just, and so I've never been able to get my head around. I'll run it, like you'll find it in the auto care some places, because I needed something that would treat the whole system. But I am all about if you need to treat cognitive function, you treat the co cortex, 90. If you need to treat emotions, long-term, short-term memory, you treat the midbrain. Um, I don't mind using the experimental frequencies like the temporal lobe. at a patient this week with a bad fall and a subdural bleed in the cortex right at the temporal lobe that involved the lower portion of the right uh, sensory motor cortex because he had left-sided weakness that lasted about a week. And so you treated the cortex, treated the temporal lobe, treated the sensory motor cortex, and now he's walking around without his walker. So, yay. So there you go. And Susan, it's, no, it, the magnetic converter converts the frequency electrical pulses to magnetic pulses, how they do it, that is an engineering thing that Bart Flick and his 
Band of Merry Men can tell you. Um, there are a bunch of retired engineers that wanted to create a frequency specific um, pulse DMF device and how they do it, I have no idea. When they sent me the prototype, I used it for an acute facet. I'd done something, I think at the gym. Um, and it's clearly lumbar facets. I put acute facets on the magnetic converter, put one in the back, one on the front, punched a button, read the newspaper, and in 20 minutes, my back pain was gone. It's like, okay, it works. So then the next week we started marketing them. So now we took care of two questions. Yeah, but I wanted to jump back to the disc question for a second and some of the, the 46, 475. I've also tried 475 so many times because I love the idea of being able to treat the nerve sheath. It's like the periosteum, right? If you think about a saran wrap around a nerve and you think how adhesions are formed within a muscle and the fascia and the nerve, this sounds like something that would be so useful for us to use. Yeah. I've been completely disappointed using it all the time. I thought it was me. No, but this is kind of like our 58 question, right? Like I thought it was me too. So I've tried and tried and tried. I've tried using it with um, variables on a channel also, because uh, I really, really, really want 475 to work. Um, I'm just not there yet. And I think if I do get something to work, it's because something is running on the second or the third custom care that's caused it to work because I'm like, <laughs> this, this didn't really happen. 46, on the other hand, I am seeing big results with, but I don't believe it's sarcomere. I think I called you about this months ago. I believe 46 is actually sarcolemma. Because listen, listen. Okay, wait, you have to tell me what the sarcolemma is versus the sarcomere. I'm okay. a chiropractor. <laughs> so sarcomere, this is our sliding filament mechanism of the myofibril in a muscle, right? So when a muscle shortens, the actin and myosin causes the microfilaments to shorten. That's when we get a contraction. We should think that this would be very helpful with athletes and for all of our muscle injuries, but it never works. It never works with 13. It never works with 91. It never works with 51. Anything on any of the scarring in the 81, 81, it doesn't work. I don't love it, but listen, so when I get an athlete who is acutely full after competition, so, um, hockey players, especially their legs are double the size after a hockey game, because there's just so much lactate and byproducts stored in these muscles. Mm -hmm. I ran 40 with 46. And you could see within minutes, the recovery that was happening in these large muscle groups. Get out. I am telling you, it happens all the time. This is going to be a new case report. Okay. So it wouldn't make sense that 40 and 46 would do anything like that if it was a sarcomere or the myofibril, because that itself doesn't do anything. But sarcolemma is like the fluid that surrounds the myofibril. So this is when you get a pump after you, this is what we call acute hypertrophy. So when you're, when you're doing a bicep curl and then you get this pump after it's not that the tearing and the rebuilding happened, you get a pump full of juices um, for lack of a better term. Go finish, but then don't let me forget. Okay. So when you get all full after you work out, like I said, it's not because you've built muscle within 20 seconds. It's just that rep. You've got the extra fluid in the sarcolemma. So we have chronic long-term hypertrophy and we have acute hypertrophy. So I have been using 40 and 46 for my athletes right after I've been splicing that into the post-workout recovery program. And they're like, what did you do to the custom care this year? It's amazing. Yeah. 40 and 46. Okay. Go. And the first place I ever used 46 successfully was in Milos Sechev. <clears throat> so Milos tore his quadriceps tendon away from the patella doing, that's a good face, doing a squat with 450 pounds on his shoulders. Well, he's Mr. Universe. It's what they do, right? Yeah, I know, but I know. 
So they did the surgery, believe it or not, laparoscopically, because people that bodybuild at that level can't have skin scars. So they reconnected the tendon. And after a year with Charles, Milos looked like Milos, except the last five inches of his vastus lateralis was completely flat, completely flat. So went from the low back to the knee, treated the scar tissue in all the tissues from the, um, from the surgery. And then I ran 40 and 396, which had always plumped up muscles that were neuropathically um, atrophied, mm-hmm. right? So thenar, hypothenar, 40 and 396 pops right up. All right. So I ran that. Milos contracted it twice. It went flat. I ran 40 and 396. It popped back up. Contract twice. It went flat. So I ran increased secretions in the nerve, 40 and 396, then increased secretions in the nerve. And then I ran increased secretions in 46. And it doesn't make any sense that increasing sarcomere, sarcomeres don't have a secretion except for ATP. Sarcoma does. But the sarcolemma does. And so the muscle popped up and stayed up. And then I get goosebumps remembering the event. Here is Charles, who's Charles, and there's Milos. And Charles says to Milos, okay, I want you to contract it from the bottom up. You were saying this last week. It's amazing. And Milos thinks a minute and then contracts it from the bottom up and it didn't go flat. And they're re-strengthening it eccentrically and concentrically, but by contracting it without moving his knee from the bottom up and the top down. And the sarcolemma makes so much sense out of that muscle, out of that model in that experience, because you're treating people that have neuropathic atrophy the sarcomeres are still there, what's missing. And we've always wondered what makes the muscle, how do you treat neuropathic atrophy of the thenar and hypothenar eminence and even T1, skeleton hand, increase, reduce inflammation in the nerve, increase secretions in the nerve, and then increase secretions in the sarcolemma. You did it. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, actually you did it, but now like, and that's why, you know, the advanced and these case studies and everything, um, is so fascinating because when we hear about when people, what people are trying and in different models, you go back to your own patients and your own history and you're like, Oh, maybe that's why that worked because I didn't treat this. I treated that. And that just, that just makes that's sense. It didn't work because I didn't treat that. I treated this. Right. And that's another question that we get a lot. Like when we're increasing secretions, what are, what are the secretions? Like what is secreting? And I don't know. Okay. Jay Shaw (laughs) asked me this. So, and that's when Jay Shaw asks you a question, you really want to have an answer, right. That makes some sort of sense. Right. So he's asking, so I talked to him about, because he's, he's the master of ascending pain amplification, central amplification, descending motor, acetylcholine, those pathways. Right. And I said, let me talk to you about descending inhibition. You have a patient with increased tone from a central disc bulge that interferes with descending inhibition. And he understood the concept of loss of descending inhibition. Tone what, what's tone? And it's like, well, it's just increased tone, either unilaterally or bilaterally. And if we increase secretions in the spinal cord, that tone returns to normal. And he said, well, what secretions are you increasing? I said, has to be GABA. GABA is the neurotransmitter that's involved in descending inhibition of of tone, of spasticity. I, and he thinks of increasing secretions 
of dopamine as N-acetylcholine as increasing motor transmission. Yeah, but you want to inhibit motor transmission. You're going to increase secretions in the spinal cord. How does that work? I have no idea. But when you can take a 22-year-old cerebral palsy toe walker or a 42-year-old toe walker and relax all the spasticity in 60 minutes and get them to walk normally, you're doing something. Right. So there's that. There's that. We have a couple more questions popping up. I want to make sure we get to those before we move on. Um, so the first one, when you mentioned the mid scapular pain and thumb osteoarthritis, which other frequency are you using with 710? Oh, okay. So miss the diagram from Cloward that is, you can Google it actually, um, disc referral, cervical disc referral, you'll, the Cloward diagram will come up. And it's the discs, disc annulus specifically. So he injected saline into the disc, made the annulus stretch that created predictable referred pain at each spinal level down the mid, in the mid scapular line. So mid scapular pain means that the disc annulus is bulging or has partial tears. The thumb Thumb pain that is not thumb pain is the C6 nerve root. That's, I, I, you know, you say, take somebody like me that says, I have thumb pain and you look at a thumb, I have arthritis in my thumb. Well, uh, no, uh, no, mm -mm, that, no. But you know, your thumb muscle is a little bit flat and this muscle, see how fluffy it is and see how flat that one is? Yeah, no, mm-mm. So you, the trick is not to get suckered by the diagnosis the pain, patient walks in with. So you use your pinwheel and you do C5, that's normal. C4 is normal. C6 is, ow, that's icky, ah. So you run one machine, 40 and 396 from the neck to the thumb that takes care of the osteoarthritis that is nerve pain. And then C6, C5-6 disc, C6 nerve root, C5-6 disc is the most commonly degenerated. So you run from neck to chest to treat the 5-6. So you run subacute disc from neck to chest. And you don't have to do anything to the mid-back unless you're an osteopath or a chiropractor or you. And then you can mobilize the rib because, this is so fun, the, because uh, it all comes to synthesis, right? So, because when you look at the innervation of the longissimus, cervicus, and thoracis, the nerve to longissimus, thoracis, which starts in the uh, cervical spine, that nerve is the C6 nerve root. So when the nerve gets irritated, this gets flat and painful, but the muscle that's attached to the rib gets tight and that pulls the rib up. So you've had some chiropractor or osteopath adjusting the rib. I've actually had patients where they RF'd the thoracic facet joint because they could, that's a good face, because they couldn't get the pain, the mid scapular pain down. Right. And it's like, the Cloward diagram has been around since 1957. Wow, okay. So you treat the disc, you treat the nerve, and when you repalpate the patient, the rib will still be rotated up. You mobilize the rib, but you'll notice that the tight band that was the muscle, that's gone. Okay. So it's two machines, one mobilization, and uh, you explain to the patient that they have a sprained ankle in their neck, they're not allowed, you're not allowed. It's not that you can't, you're not allowed to lift anything more than 10 pounds from waist height. You are not allowed to use your cell phone down here. You are allowed to put your cell phone on a pillow and use it up here because every time you flex your neck, you bulge that disc and we start over. The six weeks to repair the sprained ankle starts 
from the last time you did something stupid. So, I mean, I can say that because I'm old and people, <laughs> you know, they don't care. <laughs> not old. Um, <laughs> I, pretend. Um, I have my own list here, but let's, let's go to my list really quick and then we'll go back um, to Dana's question um, before before we close out. So um, this person reached out to me on Facebook and on Instagram regarding a, um, a tight muscle. I put tight in quotes, mm-hmm. um, someone's adductor Oops. that they've tried everything. Um, and the, the pain of the attachment site didn't go away. Sorry. So um, as a young athlete, so a young athlete does not have a tight adductor from space. And if they're coming in with the pain, not in the muscle belly, but in the attachment site, you have to think again, this didn't come from outer space. So this is a wolf's law sort of idea. So the, the muscle, it's not scarred. It's not adhered. When you think of the mechanism, what happened, this was a skater went on a full stride and then came back. So what happens when someone goes on a full eccentric contraction, everything elongates and four tears, 124 and 77 and 124 and 783 and 40 and 783. Yes. So, so that, so I know when they palpate the adductor and the gracilis, it feels tight. For sure it is. This is called a stretch reflex. When something, your your body is never going to allow things to tear off the bone unless you're Milos and it's 400 pounds above your head. For average everyday people, these eccentric contractions are just causing micro tears. And for the most part, our body does a great job of repairing that and we move on with life. Sometimes we go a little too far. So when you have a patient that comes in with something that is tight after an activity, it's a reflex. That's all it is. So do you hear that right now in the background? Dog is going completely crazy. She's going savage because she hears my voice. So um, let, me in, let me in. I'll let her in when I'm done talking. Okay. So, It'll be good um, so It'll when, good. when you, when you think it's tight and you think it's 13 or 91, you again, think of the mechanism. How did we get here? So there was an activity. So sometimes you say it's never the muscle. Sometimes it is, it's the muscle, but it's torn. But it's actually not the muscle that's torn. It's the tendon and the muscle is tight to protect the tendon. And the pain is in the ischial tuberosity because the periosteum is torn and therefore inflamed. Totally. And so can happen. The trick is that can happen for months or years. Yes. It's, I was just about to say that this doesn't always happen in an acute situation. So I'm lucky. I see athletes, they come and see me when something happens on the weekend or before a weekend. Um, so my Fridays and Mondays are the busiest days of the week because of this, but you don't have to have an elite athlete at your fingertips. You're like, these are the people that have hurt themselves and they forgot about it because they moved on with life and it really wasn't that bad. Um, so torn and broken and again, going older and it's just like, it never goes away and it hurts when I do this. And it's like, well, it's torn and broken and the Terry's minor. Hello. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and it's easy to palpate and you want to go to 13 because you want smush. You want, you think that it's scarred. And then you, and it's calcified because it's old, but it's not torn and broken. 124 in a, in an acute situation, chronic situation, that's going to get you your smush because that's what happened. It, it tore. Sometimes it tears in the connective tissue and sometimes it tears in that musculotendinous junction or in the tendinous junction into the periosteum. So that's, that's it. So person on Instagram and Facebook, 124, um, go back and like you were saying, I would throw 124 on 783, 124 and 77. That'd be my go-to and 124 and 191. Yep. Periosteum, tendon, connective tissue. Yeah. yeah. They're all together. Um, but I would. One place, sorry for me interrupting, but that is the one place where you can take three custom cares program them 
park them with a blankie, a heating pad, a book or a movie. Yeah. I'll be back in 60 minutes and then I'll see you in three days. Uh, have a nice nap. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. Because exactly. you have to be there for that part. And totally. then manual work comes later. Totally. You have to just get all that inflammation and tearing out of the way and then you can do what you need to. And, it's- and get them moving and mobilizing and strengthening after that as well. Really quick before we go on, I used to tell my patients that, so with my high level um, athletes and my like high strung CEOs, they'd come in and they'd be on their phone and I just needed them and their attention. So I used used to tell my patients that our custom cares and the precision cares scrambled their iPhones. So they would shut their phones off. Oh, so I just, I'd sent so some, pairs well, I had to, they had, they would never shut their phones off. Otherwise, especially these young male 20 some odd year old, they were like, even these women texting and Instagramming and all the things phone goes off in the clinic. So, and they wouldn't just listen to me. So I said, well, yeah, our custom cares interfere with your iPhone. So you should just shut it off. Oh, iPhones interfere with the custom cares. Right. So I wanted to clarify that live. They don't. I just was telling everybody to do that. So they would just pay attention to me and shut off for an hour. So that's that. Well, you know, sometimes you just need to chill out and decompress and do some breathing. Um, one other question that we got from, um, from social media was talking about this obviously was a practitioner asking about the mode bank, all the different brain protocols that we have. She's like, I always hear you talking about concussion and concussion in Vegas, but you never talk about forebrain subacute or, um, do you want to talk about all the programs on the mode bank? And if you use them. So every brain part has an acute subacute and chronic, uh, mode bank thing. Um, in a custom care, they all have to be modified, right? Yeah. So the acute one, you hardly ever use unless you catch somebody within 24 hours of a head injury or a stroke, right? So if you're treating soccer players or hockey players and they get a ball in the head or hit whatever part of the head, um, and you see them the next day and they're still confused and nauseous and light sensitive, then you run acute forebrain, right? For the average person that just is having trouble with mild cognitive decline, or even like on myself, if I have trouble word finding that becomes just too annoying, I will sit there and run subacute forebrain on myself. So it's just, it's just inflammation is the enemy of the nervous system. I have a version of concussion, vagus, and I added the cortex because I had a patient that had, she put her head through the windshield 15 years ago. So I, it's still subacute. I don't want to be running scar tissue because I or 284 because I don't know what's in there. I have, don't have an MRI, but her short-term and long-term memory and her ability to cognitively process were all impacted. So I added subacute forebrain. Now in the new custom care software, don't get too excited. We're still a couple of weeks away. Um, you can just add things. You can pick a whole protocol and add it. So you can create one program that's two or three hours long that somebody can run at night on a converter. And so that's acute. Subacute is the average everyday thing. And I, we've corrected the midbrain. So the midbrain is basically central sensitization, um, memory, amygdala, patients that have head injuries that find themselves emotionally unstable or angry, mm. like they have emotional outbursts, their cortex can't subdue the amygdala and the angry parts of their brain. Um, so you run subacute midbrain, subacute cortex. In the midbrain, you take out 
increased secretions in the midbrain. It's been removed from the mode bank as far as I know, but you increase secretions in the cortex. So this is why I spend so much time on neurology in the advanced, because when you can manipulate the brain in real time, it, you got to know what it does. Yeah. So you can recognize the behavioral components that tell you, yeah, that's a midbrain thing. Right. The hindbrain is balance and coordination. You deal with that a lot in the sports. Yeah. So acute is acute hindbrain is what you do on a Monday and a Tuesday and a Wednesday after they smashed into the boards with the back of their head or fell down on the ice because somebody chest slammed them, right? Yeah. Football players, soccer players, that's acute hindbrain. Balance and coordination, I hardly ever run it on the hindbrain, on the cerebellum, but it's that, that's where you run increased secretions. Chronic hindbrain is balance and coordination in somebody with generalized dementia, where they, they're falling a lot. Well, they're not falling because their cortex doesn't work. They're falling because their cerebellum doesn't work right? So that's, it's looking at the behavior Parkinson's we cover in the advanced, that's the basal ganglia. And that frequency started out as experimental, but it's now really clear that it's spot on. So does that help? I hope so. I think so. That person, um, I think that's very clear. Um, but yeah, you have to have some sort of neurology know-how and savvy to use these effectively. Um, someone just wrote in when you were speaking, what is subacute setting? So it's not a setting, it's a stage of healing, um, that we, um, modify our protocols for. So it's not in the acute, it's not in the first, yeah. Um, I use subacute, um, protocols probably the most, I think we see patients the most in that subacute stage. It's not chronic as far as, I mean, it's chronic, but they're not coming to see you because they're coming to see you because it's an acute flare of a chronic condition, which gives you a subacute. Most subacute, like the subacute disc. Yeah. Nobody comes to you saying I have a chronic disc. They yeah. Come to you saying my back is out again. Yes. And that is an acute flare up of a subacute of a chronic, sorry, acute flare up of a chronic condition. Yes. And that's, we call that subacute because I didn't know what else to call it. That's, that's totally um, it, you know, and, and some books will like, will call an acute stage of healing the first seven days. Um, some people call acute the first 24 hours. Um, it just depends on your model and what you're talking about. Yeah. And it, the biggest difference between acute and subacute in our world is the frequency for hemorrhage. Right. Anything that can bleed, we run 18 and that thing. So 18 on the capillaries in the brain um, and racehorses, the poor things, their lungs bleed. Right. Um, their kidneys bleed because they give them Lasix and it, to keep the fluid out of their lungs and that messes up their kidneys. So when you're treating racehorses on Monday, after they've raced on Saturday or Sunday, you treat hemorrhage. The lung doesn't have much in the way of arteries. It has billions of capillaries. Right. The brain has arteries, 62, and it has capillaries, 162. So you treat bleeding in the acute phase and you emphasize or increase the time. That's a wonderful thing about the custom care software. You increase the time based on the tissue right. that has been acutely traumatized. Right. Somebody gets a helmet in the back in a football game on a Sunday. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, you're treating hemorrhage in the kidney, but hemorrhage in the capillaries that make up the kidney. Right. Right? Yes. It's just common sense. Yes. Well, wow. it's no reasonable expectation. I had a professor in university that said, we can't use common sense. Cause well, oh, it's just common sense. Nope. Cause common sense is not that common anymore. So we say, 
reasonable expectation. Okay. It's fair enough. Yep. Okay. Um, so I hope that made sense. The other thing in the chat was when are Carol and Kim coming to Taipei? <laughs> uh, as soon as they open up Taipei. <laughs> and it's like, uh, type, I, I don't know. Next, it has to be next, it has to be 23 yeah. because 22 is booked. I'm in Germany, Poland, Italy, and London. And I'm running a clinic. I, what was I thinking? I don't know. <laughs> like a good idea at the time. Now, remember what you said last time? The how is not important. Yep. So the how doesn't concern you. It'll you, just, be. you just have to show up. And then Dana's question before we um, get to our closing stuff. I'm working with Dr. Lori Chaikin with FSM for my eyes. And our karate instructor recently had an eye flare up um, from, uh, sorry, oh. right. She said her condition has become, um, has come from her toxin exposures from Navy service 20 to 30 years ago. I believe Dr. Lori is still off the grid right now. I'm wondering if I should refer her to an FSM practitioner specializing um, or if general inflammation is the main. Oh, that's so funny. I want to talk about general inflammation protocol. Okay. Um, Sarcoidosis is an autoimmune condition that causes inflammation. So uh, Lori uses muscle testing as a way. So that's how she decided that toxicity, at least I believe that's how she decided that toxicity from Navy service is from 30 years ago is what caused the autoimmune condition. So it could be the Navy service itself because what turns off the vagus nerve? Sarcoidosis is an autoimmune condition. It is not possible to have an autoimmune condition if your vagus nerve is working. Right. So you look for what turned off the vagus. So I got Giardia camping 15 years ago, and now 10 years later, I have rheumatoid arthritis, inflammatory bowel disease, ulcerative colitis, sarcoidosis, whatever. Okay. So treat the inflammation, but sarcoid is a 42, a tubercular constitutional type, once again, in the advanced. Um, and you have to turn on the vagus. You have to figure out what turned it off. If it's stress, it's easy. You treat the midbrain and whatever. If it's infection, that can be more complicated. So figure out what turned it off, turn the vagus back on, treat the local inflammation. And so far, aside from infection, being able to cure or turn off infection that keeps turning off the vagus, mold, parasites, um, GI um, dysbiosis, pathogenic bacteria in the gut, those, those are outside my scope. Infectious disease is my worst topic. So, um, <laughs> It's not a dog. It's a boy. I was going to say there's people coming in. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I send them to somebody, especially if you're in Northern California, one of the practitioners that's got experience in um, um, functional medicine and treating inflammation on autoimmune disease because sarcoidosis is an autoimmune disease that can attack anything at once does the lung. Uh, the first case of sarcoid that I treated was um, uh, in the heart. That was a thing. Um, kidney, lung, eye, apparently. And the patient is in Texas. I don't know. You'll have to use the practitioner search. So. It's not either five o'clock already. All the alarms are telling me it is. <laughs> they start going off now at 412. So I can just keep us on track. <laughs> um, <laughs> a lot of people wanted to know like how to read, how to like watch it live on the Zoom. I'm not sure if you guys have that on the frequencyspecific.com website. I know the podcasts are all listed there, but maybe we could have it listed so people can 
have a faster way of clicking and joining our Zoom live because it is so much fun to see in here the puppies and the dogs and the people and to make sure our outfits match and our Christmas mugs. So <laughs> it's po- it's backslash podcast and do we don't have an estimate about the new website, do we? January. Sure, man. They're pretty quick, I think. I'm pretty excited. Our website, which is very cluttered and difficult to navigate right now, is about to get really, really simpler. I'm so excited. Yay! Yay. Um, there's also going to be on the fsmsports365.com, there's going to be a new podcast um, section there where you can also ask questions because um, I needed to streamline it because people were asking questions all different ways. So fsmsports365.com, you'll be able to have a a clicky, easy section for people who are not computer savvy like myself. Cool. That's it for today. Yay. Yay. I love Wednesdays. I love four o'clock. And I am going to see you on Saturday. Yes, I will be there. Not for the whole day, but I will be there for a big chunk of the day. Um, Or morning afternoon right yes yeah yeah. morning i'll be there at some point i'll let you know but i'll know when you walk in the room (laughs) i'll be there but i'll be there friday to deliver the big screen for you um you've got the projector screen i do i took that home with me a couple years ago (laughs) (laughs) all right everybody thanks for joining us thanks for joining us see you you next week next week Bye. bye The Frequency Specific Microcurrent Podcast has been produced by Frequency Specific Seminars for entertainment, educational, and information purposes only. The information and opinion provided in the podcast are not medical advice, do not create any type of doctor-patient relationship, and unless expressly stated, do not reflect the opinions of its affiliates, subsidiaries, or sponsors, or the hosts, or any of the podcast guests or affiliated professional organizations. No person should act or refrain from acting on the basis of the content provided in any podcast without first seeking appropriate medical advice and counseling. No information provided in any podcast should be used as a substitute for personalized medical advice and counseling. FSS expressly disclaims any and all liability relating to any actions taken or not taken based on or any contents of this podcast.